Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 187 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you Renegade and Team Fluffy. Here's your host, The Beast. Thank you, Max. And we're here with another edition of the Kinky Cast. And we're out in the Netherlands of the Pacific Northwest to this evening. And we have Renegade on the phone. Hi, Renegade. Hello, sir. We also have Little Red Rapercorn. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Uh, so we have a quorum here. You all are doing some wicked stuff out there in that uh, corner of the world. What is this rendezvous that I keep on seeing on FetLife constantly? So Renegade's Rendezvous is a six-day kinky camp out. And it's at a, a spiritual retreat place that we do a partnership with. And we have, it's not like real camping. It's kind of a rough outdoor camping. We've got sit down flush toilets. We've got hot showers. We've got outdoor showers, giant indoor swimming pool. We have a outdoor hot tub, indoor hot tubs. And we also, we prepare all three meals for all the guests that come and we'll, we'll sell 300 tickets. Wow. So we'll prepare all the meals for 300 people. And we have uh, some world famous presenters that will come and do classes. We have 20 presenters right now. It's going to be a fabulous event. And when is this event? This year it is August 1st through the 6th. All right. And uh, how are the ticket sales? Are there tickets still available or are they already gone for this year's event? There is less than 100 tickets left. Oh, so our listeners, if they need to jump on this as soon as they hear it, if they can. That'd be a good idea. If not, they need to put it on the calendar for their next season, right? Correct. So how many years are we in now? We did another event at the same location for three years. Then it changed and it became the Renegades Rendezvous. And so six years of doing events there, this will be the third rendezvous. They just keep on getting better every season. Yeah, we try to come up with different themes. And so last year we had a church theme, and this year we have prison camp. <laughs> that will play to many of our listeners' fantasies. Yeah, we're going to have a shank-making class. A what? Shank-making class. Help me here. How to make a prison shank. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, you can, you, you can tell that my time behind bars is, is very limited. One of the guests that are coming just happened to be a Tennessee state corrections officer for 30 years. So he has a little bit of knowledge of how they made their shanks back there. Wow. And you do know that we are based in Nashville. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, the podcast is out of out of Nashville. Uh, yeah, we have some uh, interesting uh, correctional ins- institutions in the state. That's for sure. 
How did Renegade get into kink? The short story, because I'm sure you got many, many curves along this path. What brought you to where you are today? Well, I think I've always been kinky because I remember tying up my babysitters when I was little. Then we kind of got a fast forward to where you get older and you start doing funny, kinky things to the girlfriends that you had. And then uh, it was about 15 years ago that I found out that there was a public scene. And so I jumped in with both feet and never left. And this is about the time that the Internet community really took off, isn't it? Yeah, I was one of the first, like, 18 or 30,000 members on Fat Life way back then. But I am at 50-something thousand, so I know, I, I know about those days and how slow the feeds were. Very slow. And now if you're away for an hour or two you know, on my feed, it'll read 99-plus messages left to go. So, yeah, it has times have changed. So you were kinky before that, though. Correct. Your girlfriends, before you found the community, how did you bring people over to your way of thinking before you had a a target-rich pool like we have now? What I used to do is I always called it like reverse psychology. So I'd meet a girl, and then I'd be like, uh, hey, uh," they'd want to talk about doing sex, and I'd be like, well... I kind of like sex a particular way. And, uh, you know, maybe we should just stay friends. Well, then that would spike their interest. That's how I'd start. From looking at your fed and tracking your um, comments, you like it rough. Yeah, now that changed a while ago, too. Where I was talking about the fluffy service topping for the first years I was in the scene, it wasn't uncommon for me to, to go to the local club here and do six scenes a night. Wow. I was just service topping. You know, I'd get up there and I'd flog six people a night. And I mean, I'd really flog them. And I'd be so sweaty and tired by the end of the night. And I didn't really get a lot out of it. And so that one day I changed and said, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to hurt people the way I want to hurt them. And if they don't want to play, then I'll play with the slave that I had. And I had two slaves. So then, uh, the girls kind of laughed at me and said, yeah, whatever, you're not going to quit. Well, I did. And uh, I thought the line might go way down. But when I, when I, the first time I ever really got to do a brutal scene with a girl, uh, all the other girls kind of just got in line. It went the whole opposite way than I thought it would have went. There's a lot of tops that wouldn't really push some of these girls. And just because they'd start to cry or something, they'd stop and have to check in. Are you okay? And I think there's something about me that knows how to conduct a scene and how to orchestrate it to where it can give the bottom what they really need to get out of the scene and how to push them and then kind of get their minds in a different spot so they can go farther than they ever went before. And then talk to them afterwards uh, about how empowering that that can be. And then they can bring these other these things they learned about themselves during the scene into their lives and they can be more empowered as a human being. I have seen the same, the same patterns develop that a lot of bottoms want to push themselves beyond what is they, they can just shrug off. They want to go into deeper spaces where they are 
where where the tears are flowing and they're and they have uh moments of doubt that they and they when they overcome those moments of doubt they do feel empowered and successful at the end exactly and I've seen that pattern much more and more. So you're saying that the, the us sick, twisted, sadist, sadistic bastards have a following, huh? I could say yes to, in my case. <laughs> now, you mentioned Team Fluffy. I saw that on your profile. It seemed totally out of place. And I must there must be some sarcasm going on in there because you just don't look fluffy. Yeah, I think the only thing about me that's fluffy is my beard. <laughs> Team Fluffy, that's a that's a joke. It started out as a joke. Me and a friend were were playing with a with a bottom one night who hadn't played for about six months since she broke up with her master. And the next day, she posted the pictures on FetLife of all of her beautiful new bruises, and she said she got double teamed by Team Fluffy. And uh, they used to laugh about us being fluffy service tops, and then all of a sudden now we were Team Fluffy. And so we had T-shirts made, and it's just kind of blew up ever since then. There's two fluffy T-shirts that we ship all over the world. They are. Okay, listeners, there'll be a links page uh, associated with the with this uh, podcast, so do look up the Team Fluffy and find out what they're all about. So Team Fluffy has events too, is that right? Is this strictly Team Renegade? Team Fluffy puts on the Renegades Rendezvous, and then we also put on local classes. Uh, we'll do fundraisers for local uh, events, local dungeons, and we'll usually not take any money for them, but we'll charge the money and then we'll donate all the money back to the local club. Some of the local clubs like it when we do that. They say that they get way more people there when we come to put some classes on than any of the other people. So Team Fluffy is basically your, uh, the name for the organization that, that you're operating. And that is education and, and training as well as just plain fun. That's exactly what it is. We sell some of the t-shirts and some other items and that kind of helps offset some of the travel costs because being a presenter is really expensive on the first, maybe eight to nine years of presenting uh, I did it all out of my own pocket, and I went everywhere. I flew everywhere. I paid for all the hotels, the meals. Usually the, reg- the registration was the only thing the, the event would comp you in at. And uh, I had two slaves at the time, and we flew everywhere. But one year we did 32 events. Wow. And at the end of it, I was like, wow. I go, that just got really expensive. And I said, we're going to have to change some things up. And so that's when I decided that, we were only going to go do events that were willing to pay for us to come if we had to fly there. And that only makes sense. And I've heard that from so many presenters and I have experienced that as a presenter that it gets expensive. It does. And so I try to change that with Renegades Rendezvous because I want to be an event that presenters want to come to. I want it to where they want to almost fight to be there. And so we get some really good presenters that are willing to fly in. I don't know if you're familiar with who Eric Pride is. Oh, yeah. He's one of the real famous presenters right now. And uh, he's coming to, he's going to be one of our headliners this year. Yeah, I ran into Eric a couple of years ago at the Southeast Leather Fest in uh, Atlanta. Great. His repertoire and his classes were top-notch. An AO out of... Uh, of uh, Gainesville, Florida. He, we're flying him in, and he's 
he's a phenomenal presenter with some great skills also. But so what we decided to do was we're going to pay for the presenter's airplane flights. We're going to feed them for six days. We're going to give them transportation to and from the airport. We want them to feel really good about wanting to come to our event and real happy and satisfied when it's over. Well, uh, this is a, this is incredible quality on, on the event side to, to make the presenters that welcome. I mean, most of, most of the time it's a gift bag and, and your uh, restoration is comp to the room is, is at your expense. Yeah, exactly. So I fight with, uh, event producers all the time when they want to negotiate with me and I'm just like, you know what? If you would charge a hundred dollars instead of seventy nine dollars, and you get all these people, then that's another ten thousand dollars that you could spend on presenters to come. And the quality of your of your presenter will go up. It will. And, and your attendees will won't notice the difference in that uh, in the few dollars that uh, that each one contributes to the overall cost of the programming. I used to be into real estate, and if I would have went to one of the conventions to be a presenter, they'd pay me like $10,000 for one day just to get up there and talk. The people in the king scene, they need to, uh, I don't know if they need to, but they need to kind of wake up a little bit, and uh, if they want education, then they need to pay for it. There's such a volume and often quality uh, presenters at the local level, and we have such a churn in our community. Such a churn uh, that the people last uh, three or four years and then they move through the phase and something else. And but there's the old timers like you and I and others that that we would like to see uh, classes that are deeper and richer than the one hundred ones and one hundred twos that the local communities can present. You know, we need those local people because they, we need to keep the the pool going. And if we can get these local people to learn how to flog, learn how to do these needles, do whatever, and then they keep practicing those skills and adding more classes, that's what I talk to a lot of people about who want to get into the presenter world. I'm like, well, I said, look at it from a presenter or a producer's side. I go, you want to come to my event and be a presenter. I can't have you only teach one class. And I go, if you're only teaching a flogging class, I might be flying somebody in that teaches a flogging class. That just kicked you right out of the running to be a presenter. Now, if you have three or four really good classes that I can pick from and and try to get them more rounded, like a relationship, a skill set, maybe a sex class, something like that, if they're in different categories, then that helps me. We definitely need to work at the local level to, to develop presenters and there are communities our local communities beginning to make efforts to develop local presenters and and hopefully some of them like you say will grow to be uh regional caliber and then maybe national caliber you bet so one of the other things that we like to do is we have a, a kinky motorcycle club called the edge riders oh my it's a, a kinky motorcycle riding club it's an rc not an mc and what we do at our local BDSM club is we put on monthly parties or quarterly parties, excuse me, quarterly parties. And we like to have a class before the party. And then we have one of the members step up. So we have a lot of members in the, in the motorcycle riding club 
that haven't really taught classes, but they have some really good skills. So we've been pushing them out of their comfort zone to be presenters. And it works out pretty good. Then the people are coming just for a regular play party and they get education at the same time. And then we're we're kind of molding some of these people to be presenters at the same time. And it's one of the gifts that our motorcycle riding club can give to the local community. That is a fantastic thing because we can never have too much education. Our community members have such a diverse schedule and time frames and availability that we need the core basic skills available to them on a regular basis. We do because community leaders get burned out. Well, and the audience gets burnt out on hearing them. Yes, especially if they don't add new classes to the repertoire. But when you're a community leader, you get asked and pulled every damn direction that you can be. And uh, for a lot of people, it's hard to say no. And so pretty soon you just get to that exhaustion level. And you're like, wow, man, we need some other people to step up. They are beginning to in many communities, but even if a community leaders added new classes to the repertoire, there is still a certain amount of audience fatigue with that presenter. I would agree with that. That we get our message across better if we have a fresh voice. Even if they're saying the same words, yeah. I think that they're heard better. And it does great, great things for the community. Otherwise, because your community is richer and deeper than it would be if you only had three or four educators. Yeah, we're lucky in Seattle. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, top notch presenters. You had a great play space up there. Are they back open yet? I don't think there's a, a location in the near future. And that is such a shame. And that community is, uh, well, the uh, cost of real estate's, I'm sure, astronomical in that corner of the world. And the, the zoning codes. Ah, uh, I would figure zoning was a little more more re-relaxed on the coast. Yeah, it, it's kind of complicated. That's for a whole different discussion. Running a club is a is a complicated endeavor. I've I've done it, and you've had some uh, brushes with it as a event organizer. So you know how complicated all that stuff is. Yes. What's in the future for Renegade? We're already pretty full till October. The schedule, if you look at our calendar, is pretty crazy right now because we have the the kink stuff, then we have the motorcycle stuff. And we also are part of a, a body-based ritual tribe that's called Edgewalkers. And with that, we travel around the country and the world, I guess, putting on body-based rituals where we do like fire walks, hook pulls, hook suspensions, all in one weekend. And uh, we're really into that. And then same with the, the flesh hook suspensions. We, uh, we travel a lot and do the, the suspensions also. And I saw you have a, a, a suspension event coming up that was something I had never seen. Uh, hook suspension boxing? Yeah, it's called the Flesh Hook Fight Club. And so we'll get a person and a challenger and we'll put hooks in them and raise them up off the ground a little bit to where they can still touch and run. And then they'll have boxing gloves and they can kick the shit out of each other. Oh my, uh, this sounds like a sport that I definitely would like a front row seat for. Yeah, and we'll have VIP seating for the seats and we'll have people serving strawberries and different hors d'oeuvres with their titties out in the people's faces. It's a really good time. 
It sounds like such a hard life you got there. And so this is a fundraiser that we're going to be doing for the Bellingham Sex Positive Center in Bellingham, Washington. So we'll make a bunch of money off of this, and we'll donate it all to that club. That's what our Edge Rider Motorcycle Riding Club does. Cool. Now, there is a story that some little birdie told me to ask about. Something about stun guns in Canada. And I have no idea what this story is, but I hope I'm not prying here. But I am curious, is there anything to this this tale? Once upon a time in a land far, far away, uh, we were doing a Team Fluffy intensive weekend workshops in uh, Victoria, Canada a few years ago, in 2013. And some of the classes that we were going to be doing have stun guns and stuff that I use in them, rough body play, fear classes, stuff like this. And we took a, a ferry boat, a passenger ferry, to Victoria. When we got off the boat, they were going through customs, and they pulled me aside, and they wanted to look inside of our bags. Uh-oh. Well, they found these stun guns, and... Then they arrested me, and so then I had to, uh, I was like, can't you just take them and keep them? And they're like, uh, no, you were bringing an illegal substance into our country. And so they arrested me. Then I had to call the U.S. consulate and tell them I'm in custody in a foreign country. I had to call an attorney. And uh, so this went on for about four and a half hours while I was in custody. And then they decided that they would release me into the city for an hour and a half because the next ferry wasn't leaving for an hour and a half. Ah, a little subtle nudge there, huh? Yeah, so I I left the jail, went outside, and the producer of the event that was having us was just freaking out. And I told her, I said, the show must go on. Because she was freaking out, saying, oh, my God, people are going to want their money back. I've rented this venue. I've did this. And I was like, the show must go on. And so uh, I told uh, my slave, Little Red Rapicorn, that you're going to have to do it. And she was just petrified because usually I do a lot of the talking, and she's the one that has the real skills. And uh, the vice president of our motorcycle riding club was there also, and I asked him if he could step up and help. So he said, Sure. And so I said, well, they're going to kick me out. I'll go back home and try to Skype in on these classes. So they brought a large TV in for the classes, and we Skyped in, and it was some of the funniest fun classes that we ever taught, and I was in a different country when they went on. And everybody loved it. Not one person wanted their money back, and it just worked out really good. Are you allowed back into Canada, or are you still on the persona non grata list? Still on the list. Still on the list. Yeah, I tried again for another conference called West Coast Bound that wanted us to come up. And they, they grabbed me again and they said, if I tried again in seven years, they were going to keep me. So I haven't tried again now. And they're supposed to be friendly up there. Yeah, they were friendly. They did buy me pizza while I was in jail. <laughs> well, that is, that's, that's better than what I hear the American jails do. Exactly. Is there any other country that has banned you? Well, they said that Australia is about the same as Canada. So I haven't tried to be in Australia. And that's what I told her. I said, we could use this. 
I said, we can, we can tell the people that Renegade's so bad, Canada won't let him in. And so that's kind of how that ran, and it worked out really good. Everybody needs a story, and you have one here, so. Yes. Renegade, it's been great, great speaking, speaking with you. And I look forward to seeing more, more things coming out of your corner of the world. And I want to thank we'll you. We'll try to have to get you out here sometime. Well, we might just do that. One of my new play, play things is from SeaTac. So I might just have to use that as an excuse here in August. That is, that's going to be a bit tough. I am an educator and I'm back in the classroom in August. Oh, yeah. See, we're lucky out here. Our schools don't start until summer's over, so our kids don't go back to school in the fall until September. We go in the 1st of August. I have no idea why when it's so hot back there. I have no idea either. We have to close schools every couple of years because the air conditioning breaks. Yes. I don't, I don't get understand it. That. I don't get it. Well, Renegade, thank you for sharing with us, and we'll talk to you more. Thank you very much, sir. Pleasure. Bye-bye. You have been listening to episode 187 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week, when we learn all about the Motor Bunny and reconnect with Freudian slips.